Hello and welcome to the NCN Team Podcast. My name is Cosmo and tonight I'm joined by Eddie. Good evening. And I'm joined by Glenn. Hello. Every, everyone's in a very creased mood. Everyone's in a very giggly mood. Yeah, I don't I, know, Glenn I, started smiling and I was like, why is he laughing? And it's probably the same reason that I was laughing is that every time we record and that woman that woman goes, this is being recorded. I'm just like, I get so close to just like clicking like the option where it closes Zoom. Little yeah, peep yeah. behind the little peep behind the curtain there. No, like I, I don't know if it was also because I was just giving off the vibes of of trying to get the intro very very right this week. Because last week I always noticed that I, I almost sound a bit downbeat sometimes especially when you mix in the the <laughs> intro with it and then it, it's just like you got you got this like up well sort of upbeat intro and then you just got me going hello welcome to n17 podcast and like <laughs> so last week i tried to go like a bit more upbeat and it sounded absolutely terrible i had to take the hello out of it because like it sounded like i was like shouting at my mic like the level hello! yeah it was like that it was like i, I was like some failed faded youtuber with that so coming like the, the guy in match of the day i know i know game. we were talking about that glenn i don't know if you watched our highlights on match of the day but the commentator was going absolutely insane i just watched it back before we came on as well and it's actually even as a spurs fan it's just funny it's just funny to hear yeah too much i, w- I was watching it i think i didn't watch enough of the game uh yesterday was it yesterday fuck me Oh God, no! Sunday, Saturday, Saturday. This whole weekend's just been a mess for me. I know. Yeah, you've but, been yeah. dealing dealing with the loss of the Queen quite badly, haven't you? So yeah, it, it, it's, it's, it's hit me hard. It's hit me hard. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't watch too much of the game, and then I watched it on Match of the Day, and I was like, "Is this like Fan Zone? Have they brought Fan Zone back for, for Spurs? <laughs> just for Spurs only games?" Because it actually sounded like when they started screaming down the mics in fan zone, like in the in the early two thousands. When I watched it back again, like forty minutes ago, even his intro, he sounds like he's just he's determined to go extreme on this. Like he's like, yeah, "Welcome to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium." I mean, yeah, I don't know, I don't know why he was so buzzing, but I loved it. I loved it. Maybe they told him to like kind of bring up his commentary a little bit, or maybe he listened back to some of his stuff. I always, always used to get confused because I was thinking, when did he, like, when I was younger, like, when did they record it? Because the games are not shown on BBC. That's what I thought in my head and forgot that just, like, bare, bare, like, commentators are there. And it only picks up, obviously, the, the commentator who's speaking on the broadcaster. So, like, he was there just at the stadium going absolutely ballistic, bro. Yeah, tracking down the commentators, like, looking around at him, like, okay. Chill. Trust. Martin Tyler's half dead most of the time, so if he was there, he'd be very, very freaked out by that. Maybe, maybe it's coincided. So, like when Martin Tyler uh, has started to like drop off, this guy's been sucking the energy out of him. <laughs> yeah, time, or they've seen, a, they've seen an opportunity. They're like, okay, maybe if I'm a commentator with a bit of life, I might get picked up because um, it's a power vacuum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Peter Drury's been been really trying to get into that as well. Like his his stuff is going around Twitter all the time, so. I think he's trying to step into the vacuum. So maybe that's what it is. Who knows? Who knows? Um, it's, it, it was a weird game. It was a weird game. We won 6-2, but um, we weren't necessarily in control for large swathes of the game. Uh, it was just very unstable, um, particularly when they pulled it back to 2-2. Like at half time, I was feeling very downbeat, to be honest. Um, so I reckon we should go through it like somewhat 
um, chronologically. Um, the fact that Sanchez was starting was a bit of a surprise, and lo and behold, within four minutes, he was just dropping absolute disaster classes. Uh, the goal, by the way, I forgot that this was all the same passage of play, which always kind of happens to me a little bit when I go to the game. Like You kind of forget the bits just before the goal, but it starts with him doing that, con- try- trying to control a ball on the halfway line with his knee, which... It's just Can you actually tell me what he was trying to do? Can either of you tell me what he's trying to do? I don't think he no. knew. No. I don't he was trying he... to power near. He was trying to like clear it. Even that, even that like description doesn't even begin to like explain what was going through his brain when he tried to do that. And then after that, you have what two he, he does a bad slide tackle, and then you've got Perisic doing like two missed slide tackles. And then the decision to even go in was just insane. Like it was about five yards away from the player and just slides in. I mean, is this is this is this a something we need to maybe replace in January? I, I think we could maybe be looking at something we need to upgrade because Romero gets injured quite a bit. It's, I don't think it's look. I, I I think that we're going to have to definitely review where we are in like January, right? now I don't see right centre back as like the defining position that we need to re- that we need to recruit in um, I couldn't really tell you what it, it, like uh, maybe right wing back like maybe that's the one that that <laughs> we need to replace but we've already got three players in that Glenn position is just crazy that. <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean I, I, and we, I, I, we have three players in that position yeah. and then we played a fourth player in that position who's not played there this season <laughs> And so, and so, like you say, maybe right wing back is the, the place where we need like the recruitment. It is. Bro, it's, we, are we collecting, collecting right backs like England, bro? Yeah, it's so bad. It's ridiculous. But I don't think right centre back is is actually the position that we need to replace in January. But that said, my God, I think everyone when as soon as as soon as he like needed on the halfway line, I knew that it was going to end up as either a goal or something was going to happen. Yeah. It, it, I don't even know. I can't even say if it was excitability or not, or whether or not he just his head was just completely not in the game at all. Um, but it was just a comedy of errors. Not just him. Perisic was bad, but he com- he confounded it by by making the initial mistake and then just diving in. And then you can see on his face, he's like, "I'm a dickhead." <laughs> you can see on his own face, he just ah oh, it it. it it had me incensed. It, it was a real incensed. anxiety in the stadium every single time he got the ball, which probably doesn't help him, but it also originates from him. So, yeah, I, I feel like we, we always have this with Sanchez. He sort of like has to grow into games. Like early on, if he makes an error, it's, it's like it just snowballs into like worse and worse and worse and worse. But if he starts off well, like gets a few like decent passes out, Early on, he he normally plays quite solidly. Like he's normally he normally doesn't make these sorts of errors, which I find weird because he can be like a completely different player in different games. Some some days it's like Jekyll and Hyde sort of almost character because he he he, he there was a record of like eight or nine games in a row where he's played where we where we kept clean sheets, and and he and he and he's grown into these games and it's he's been absolutely like solid for us. And then you see these games where he just absolutely like loses his head early on. And it's it's annoying because <clears throat> he could be such a good player. He he feels like he has such like great attributes to be such a good defender. His last ditch tackles are often really good, but 
the one on the weekend obviously led to a penalty early on and I don't even know what what happened before that to make him think that he could slide 10 yards past the player and try and hook the ball from him. It, I think it, he it was trying to do sense. that he who must not be named never ending slide tackle, probably. <laughs> I, I reckon that was what's going through his head. But I, I think it, it, Glenn, like you make a great point there when you say that he has all the attributes. Like I think it just has to be a, a mentality thing. Just has to be a mentality thing. I mean, the fact that we, you know, we picked up on he has to grow into games. That's a mentality thing. That's not really to do with skill. Granted, he doesn't really have the skill to like pass it out from the back and whatnot, but it just seems like he's like a, he embodies anxiety on a football pitch, basically, which it's not really what you want from someone in, in either playing in a back four or back three. But let's move it along slightly. Let's come to the fact that corner kick, free kick, might as well mark it down as a goal at the moment, especially against Leicester, who are generally awful from set pieces. But, I mean, we are seeing more than what we thought from Gianni Vio in terms of the fruits of his labour. Like, this is very good. Um, the fact, it, it is kind of like signing another player, really. Um, I just want to say one thing before you take over, Glenn, because I know you were you were big on the Vio appointment, but... Um, when I was in the stadium, someone in front of me, as soon as it went short, they're like, oh, another fucking show goal And I knew, as soon as he said that, I was just like, it's a goal. It's a goal. Like, I just knew the footballing gods. I, I, I could just feel them. I could feel the narrative. So, um, so yeah, Glenn, what do you make of, of VO's impact? Yeah, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say it, guys, but I did tell you so. I did tell <laughs> you so. The, the numbers speak for themselves. I said to you, this guy is the signing of the summer and he's not even playing. He's, what, 60-odd years old. He's a signing of the summer, is what it is. But these these short corners, I think it depends who the ball goes to, in my opinion. Like, if the ball's going to Sessegnon, I don't want us to take a short corner because he often, like, fluffs the lines, misplaces, like, a four-yard pass. And then the person who takes the corner on the receiving end of the pass is then like under pressure and then they're on the break. If it goes to a, like a more comfortable player um, coming short, I, th- I think I'm I'm all for the short corner. It just depends who it's going to. If it's Sess or Emerson, I'm just don't do it. Just yeah, put it in the box. The whip Kulisevsky put on that was just trademark Kulisevsky. I, I, mean, I think the word is a swaz, mate. <laughs> the whip, the swaz, whatever you want to call it, but that's becoming a trademark for him. Like it's almost a bit Beckham-esque, his crossing at times. Um a fantastic player, and I'm sure we were all very glad to see him back in the team. Um, do we think uh, maybe we'll come on to the Son bit, Son stuff in a bit? But do we think we're going to see the return of Kulisevsky, Kane, Son as the front three for the you know meantime? I think um, so. I, I do think that like it's funny that the kind of the evolution of that front three is, is that it all eventually worked out by the time it got to Leicester, because if you if you were to, to like get to Leicester and then play Son, Richardson and Kulisewski again, you just you, you, it's almost to the point of like parody because you, you like you can't persist in this manner when you have options. I get I'd get it if we didn't have options. Um like for, it's, if what you mean the the, the Kulisewski Kane Son attack yeah 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 with with if we didn't have Richarlison for instance and we and mm. we could only look to Lucas and 
he'll you you maybe persist with um like a, a front three that isn't working. But if one of that front three consistently is poor, um maybe Kane not as much, but definitely Kulosevsky or Son, then you have the option to take one of them out. And so I think we we kind of we were critics critical of Conte and I think that's okay we should be able to be critical of Conte but I do think he's kind of judged this correctly um, in the in the sense that he maybe was trying to um, get Son to play out of this bad form um, but when it when it got to a point where he was just like okay I need to take you out of the firing line um, then it did actually work out especially considering the fact that Richardson didn't really have his best game and so like making that early ch- uh, that early change um, actually did kind of work out okay. Um, you, you didn't think, okay, he's only taken Son out because he knows he's going to bring him on in like 55 minutes or 60 minutes or whenever he came on. Um, it did feel like, okay, um, I've taken you out of the firing line now. You can you can, you can can crack on and, and, and get your goals. And so, yeah, I do think that now that Son's found his, his he's figured out where the goal is, um, that maybe he will start the next game. Um, and, you know, considering the next game is in North London Derby, which we'll, we'll look to later, um, I think he definitely starts, in fact. Yeah, I reckon I reckon we should just come on to, to Sonny now. Um, two unbelievable goals. The second one, I, I think the first one was better, but the second one, I had like a really weird experience of it. Like I was sitting down like perfectly in line with him, like, controlling the ball and lining up the shot and in my head I was like surely he's not gonna shoot surely he's not and he just curled it in and it was like perfectly in line with my eye and like I almost like didn't even stand up and go crazy I just like shook my head I was like that is unbelievable like it really was like just witnessing something completely world-class um yeah just so happy for him to be able to come on and prove his point because it did look like he had a point to prove his celebrations had a bit of stank on it no, he was. It's not the song we're used to seeing. He was kind of shushing people, not really celebrating. He's definitely read the the kind of the talk around him, and he's heard heard it. So, yeah, good for him to break that duck. Yeah, it felt like <clears throat> the sh- even when he came on, I don't think not even before, like even before the first goal that he scored, I feel, I feel like it it felt like the shackles were off for him. Like it was, it was like pressure was off for him, and I think it's the exact reaction that Conte would have wanted this to have because I think it could have gone two ways like if you drop Son he like I don't want to say he's petulant but he he has like that that streak of attitude in him where where he he could he could like go the wrong way with with like taking the reaction but I think he took it perfectly the the pressure was off as soon as that first goal went in it felt like vintage Son like we've seen that that left-footed uh curler into the far corner so many times yeah. Now, and it's it, it just gets better every time. Like seeing this is the reason that we go to football games, I think, uh, to what to watch this sort of almost greatness because it, it's something that you don't get to see very often. And I, th- I think like that that's the sort of thing that we saw on the weekend was just a, like a performance of greatness in in that that 30 minute um, spell that uh, Son had on the pitch. Do you think um, the move to three five two helped him? Because I've kind of always said on the, on on this pod, I I have wanted to see him as like a strike partner for Kane more because the way I see it, it just gives him a lot more space to run into. Like he basically has half to 
to the full width of the field to kind of run into and Kane can play him in, which in the 3-4-3, I think we do see some limitations with him because, you know, think of Son when he's struggling, he is coming back and he's facing his own goal and he's trying to like pass it to someone, he's trying to play someone in. That's not really Sonny's game. And um, I think he just looked a lot more comfortable uh, kind of just being able to be the main man and just, just being the attacker. I can't see us switching to a 3-5-2 long-term, but it was nice to see. And it was nice to see us really control the midfield as well. I do have a point on this. I think it's, uh, I think there's like two points, I think, this season that um, could like be, you know, like prescribed to why Son has had a, a slow start. And I think one of them is that, unlike Sessegnon, um, Perisic plays like, very high um, and plays quite wide. And I think when Son's in that 3-4-3, three, three, um, in, that, in that formation with Perisic on the pitch, I'm not saying Perisic is a detriment to the team, but it certainly does like give Son less freedom for me because Son can't really pull out out as much because Perisic is already there and so um, the variation to Son's movement is condensed to that kind of that that inside left pocket and that, that is his preferred position but it does mean that Son can get marked out of a game better, easier because it's it's not really up to the fullback or the, like the fullback and the centre-back aren't like debating with each other on yeah. who to pick Son up. Son can either be picked up by the defensive midfielder or the, centre, or the right centre-back a lot easier um, when Perisic plays. Um, and I think that's why when, because when Son came on, we were still playing a 3-4-3 and um, Glenn made the point in the group chat and, and I knew he elaborated on it earlier, that third Bentancourt goal, it, we were still playing a 3-4-3. And so I, I do think that, that like in terms of um, what Son prefers or what he, what he's good at, we saw at the back end of, Oh, it's the it's the the now classic losing Eddie midpoint. Do you think it's just working on that partnership with Perisic? I think. Sorry, Eddie, Eddie, I know that. Lot, did I just a lot of what you just said? Maybe rewind fifteen seconds in your head and and uh, repeat. I said. Okay, okay. So I was, what I was saying was with with Son. I don't think it's necessarily that he's like can't flourish in a three four three because. I do think that that front three were playing incredibly well, at the, you know, when, when Kulisewski came in. So I, I think it's less about Son um, like struggling in a 3-4-3 and preferring a 3-5-2 and more a case of like Son working on that partnership with Perisic because Perisic is, is, is new. And so they will need to like work on that partnership. Who goes outside, who goes inside, especially when someone like Davies makes an overlapping run. That means you have three players in that and it can get very overcrowded. So it really is just about like working on that on that partnership because it can be very fruitful. I think. I'm assuming we're jumping forward a little bit here, but I'm assuming we're gonna hit Arsenal uh, on on the counter. I assume that's gonna be the plan. Um, hopefully, not too much of a low block. Hopefully, it's like a low to mid block and then hit him hit him on the counter. But I assume that's gonna be the plan. There's something in me that wants to see that Jose Mourinho-esque Kane and Son just up front on the counter, which allows Kane to drop deep and then Son just to get on his bike and get in behind. Is there any chance that we might see that? Or is it going to be 
the classic three three four three, and could we even alter what we see in the three four three in terms of maybe Sonny is pushed higher up and Kulisevsky and Kane both look for him? What do you make? What do you think, Glenn? Yeah, I, th- I think that's more likely. I think <clears throat> when we play, well, what I don't think will happen uh, against Arsenal specifically. I think that we won't be playing Son, Richarlison, and Kane. Because I, I I think that Kulusevski's kind of it's almost it almost frees up a space for Kane because <clears throat> where Kulusevski's creating from deeper than Rich, than Richardson would because Richardson Richardson is often uh, doing the runs in behind like Son Kane can't get marked out of the game quite as easily because it's it's quite easy to to read Kane uh, dropping deep if both of the wingers are going in behind um, I, th- I think that. Kulisevsky playing in a sort of like slightly deeper, wider, more like creative role than Richarlison um, allows Kane to drop into different pockets and Son to over like like Eddie was saying earlier and and yourself uh, Son to make a slightly different run which does encompass like more of the pitch. He comes from wider and he can go more centrally. Um, I think when Kane and Richarlison are and Son are all playing, I think Richarlison makes a very similar run from either the right to to inside or the left to inside, which limits the amount of space that Son has to run into. And and we saw it so often, even when Ali was playing um, for Spurs at his peak, that we, we would look for that long ball over the top and a, a player coming from slightly wider to more centrally. And I don't think that playing two players there that do the same run allows for that to happen quite as easily because it's a lot easier to get the ball wrong. Um, and I, and I think that that's where we've seen Son flourish, and I think that that's where Kulisevsky like has to start now. I, I don't, yeah. I don't see a situation where we can play both Son and Richarlison in a big game like against Arsenal. I just don't, I just don't see it. I think his his absence, it was like one of those things where like a player gets better when they're out of the team as well, and yeah. then it's back that up by coming into the team and, and being great. I mean, that ball for Kane, it's just. So good, like I said earlier, like he's just he's so good at that, and that, and that is another weapon in the whole set piece um repertoire that we have to be able to go short. And then you've got Kulisevsky, who can uh, that is such a hard angle to defend. Someone yeah. curling the ball in like that, like that is really difficult to defend. Um, and I think, yeah, it's it's just it's, a, it's another it's another string weapon that we have, it. yeah, another string, yeah, exactly. Um Let's, let's kind of cover Arsenal a little bit here um, because I think based off of the back of that, we speculated about the front three. Who do you think is going to be the wing-backs for that? I think Perisic, I assume, is a, is a lock because personally, I think he's been pretty good in all games. Even when people have said he's had a bad game, I think he's been one of the better players amongst the, a bad performance. Um, but... Eddie, you said tongue-in-cheek. You did say tongue-in-cheek. It must be pointed out. But you said since Emerson came on, we didn't concede a goal. And I can't let I'm no Emerson fan, but we looked more comfortable <laughs> defensively with him on the pitch. And I think he's going to play against Arsenal. Yeah, he. I think he was well. I think a lot of people were saying, I think a lot of people were trying to fit Kulisevsky into the team, a 3-5-2 team by playing him at right wing back. And that's just far, you're leaving far too much to chance um, when you throw a coach into the wing like that, especially with someone who's, 
I assume will play someone so dynamic and quick and aggressive as Martinelli. Um, I do think that like doubling up on him will be super important um, with Romero hopefully fit uh, and Emerson there. Like, I, I still Emerson, I don't think he's a fantastic defender, but what he excels at compared to what he doesn't excel at, he does excel at defending. He's better at defending than he is going forward, and I think he. Uh, he becomes like required, uh, you know, support to Romero. I think Romero is good at one-on-one defending as well, um, but you don't want to. You don't want like Martinelli running at him all game because eventually he will find a way around him. There's just no way of getting around that. Um, and like, yeah, basically, I think Emerson's just good for good for for that. I think he is. He does provide some support. At least stems the flow. On, on the side that he defends. So I think yeah. it'll start. One Just to go back to the Leicester game quickly, one person I want to shout out was Hugo Lloris. Like the fact that we won 6-2, like it's really kind of gone under the, the radar, but he kept us in that game at times. Um, there was even one which didn't make the highlights, which was I was going down um, for half time uh, just before the, the half time whistle blew. And Madison was just in one-on-one with Lloris and... Lloris just looked so imperious in the way he stopped it. Like he's just got such a presence. Um, some of his saves, so athletic. Uh, and I just, we just don't talk about Lloris enough. It's kind of like what we were saying a few weeks back about Kane as well. Like we just take it for granted, but he's he's a world-class keeper. He He's still a world-class keeper. And like every now and then he'll make a mistake, but it's really, it's not that often. And No, it's not. Yeah, I just feel like it's kind of overplayed. And I think since Mourinho came in, he's just been... One of the best keepers in the world. Let's not beat around the bush. He he has been. Um, I do want to. I do want to like jump on that and say that like people people forget not forget but like people kind of fail to to actually come to like understand the fact that like he's a ten year servant at the club and like like over that over that period he has improved as a goalkeeper, no doubt. But like. It's it's like hard to underest it's hard to overestimate just how much of like a uh, an anchoring presence he is in the club. Like no, through all the changes that have happened since he's been at the club, like he's practically seen three or four new teams. Um, and uh, like throughout that, he's he's been such like a a, a calming presence. I never I never think of Lloris as like insane. He does sometimes make erratic decisions. And you're thinking like, oh my goodness, like that was that a rush of blood to the head. But like he is just like such a such a like good servant to of to the club. And I do think that like he's just gotten better with age, which is not what a lot of players can say. He's aged you know, like French wine. Um and he's I think he is like the last three, four years has probably been like the peak of his career. Um, both for the national team and and for for Spurs, so yeah, I do want to jump on that and agree with you. I think he's been fantastic the last couple of seasons. Yeah, on that he he has sustained a thigh injury. He's pulled out of the the French squad, so I really hope we don't see Forster in goal against Arsenal. Um, did have a it's good game against game. them for Southampton, to be fair, but that it's uh, way too big a game for him to come back to to start. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You could just see that. You could just see that like going really really badly. Yeah, backup keepers in those kind of games are never ever good. I think didn't we Michel play Vaughan? Spina for you to oh don't don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me Michel started on that. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's, 
Yeah. <laughs> That's the only thing that can really push me to slander Poch. The fact that he would always play Vorm in the Cups was just awful, awful. Um, right, I think we'll we'll go to a little break uh, and then come back for part two. Hello and welcome back to part two. Um, I understand, Eddie, you want to chat a little bit more about the, the formation change to 3-5-2 and Glenn as well. Yeah, so I think basically the reason why I wanted to bring it back up was because I know we briefly talked about it. We did start the game with a 3-4-3, which is as expected. Um, I thought that we've actually brought this up so many times on the podcast now since the beginning of the season, how our squad is now wedded to that 3-4-3 formation, meaning it's very difficult for us to to actually change wholesale going forward, like to change to a 3-5-2 or, or anything like that, because we neglected to buy an attacking midfielder towards the end of the, the transfer market. Um, and I thought it was interesting that like we started the game as a 3-4-3 and kind of as usual, we just lacked the control in the midfield. Um, but it did seem that there was a bit more like cut and thrust to the three this game um, than we've had previously. And I don't know if, if it's whether to the fact that, you know, we were starting with three players who are more informed than Son um, or if it was something else, but there did seem to be a bit more penetration to the, to the attacking play than, than usual. Um, and I think what was, what was interesting is that um, I don't know if it's partly to do with the fact that we make bad teams look better than they are or the fact that Leicester did improve um, in that, at least in that first half, compared to how they've played previously in the season, um, but it did just kind of look like a, an end-to-end game, which is like something you don't really uh, like. You don't really like uh, attribute to a Conte-type match. Like it usually is very controlled. Even though we don't have the ball, we do control. Like there are two different types of control. People seem to think possession equals control, and that's just not the case at all. Um, and I think we've seen we've we've come to grow to understand that a lot more since Conte has become our manager is that we are controlling the game quite a lot because if you look at the XG of of teams that have faced us, it's it, we've we've basically what we've done is we've limited them to taking shots outside the box or from some crazy angles, and so you can actually say that although we we lack the possession in the game we are actually controlling the game in the sense that we're not really giving up many high percentage chances. And so, um, but the game on the weekend really did feel like not nothing like that. I felt like we were given a lot of high percentage chances away. I felt that like we completely had no balance. And so eventually when we did change to a three, five, two, when Basuma did come on for, I think it was like 25 minutes maybe of the, of the game remaining, um, we just saw such a change. Um, I, again, I know it's against a leggy Leicester side, but when you have that anchor and then the two, in my opinion, they're playing as two eights, um, then we just look like with with Benson and Hoybier, um, we just look so much more comfortable um, in like in terms of uh, defect, like midfield solidity because it meant that Hoybier or Benson could aggressive like could part press be more aggressive in their press and not think, you know, in the back of their mind, there's not only one, there's only, there's a one man midfield behind me. Um, they know that there's a two, there's, there, there are still two midfielders that can, uh, that can control the middle of the park. And I think that is definitely a change that Conte made. 
I think the reason why we're not doing it as often is because we do, it does mean that we're like neglecting two of, you know, the, the players that he's brought in in Richardson and Kulisevsky. It's very hard to, to play a 3-5-2 with those players. Um, but I do think we've criticised Conte's changes in the past in, in him not being really proactive in, in making changes. Um, but I do think the changes he made in terms of personnel and formation were spot on against Leicester. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Eddie. And I think we're seeing more now that Conte likes to use this 3-5-2 as sort of like a, a, as you said, to control the game. And I, I think I don't, I don't think that he ever likes starting with the 3-5-2 because it becomes very predictable going forward. Like in controlling the midfield and and controlling the the wing backs and 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 the wide areas and even and even the the central areas with the three at the back, I don't think he likes playing the two up top because it does make us almost a counter attacking side. It does it because it would be Kane and Son if if you're honest. Like it it could be Kane and Richarlison, but we haven't seen that yet. So I think playing Kane and Son up top, I think that. It, it suited itself to this weekend because Leicester just left themselves open. They, they, they we, we controlled as soon as you control their midfield with um, uh, Tielemans and Madison and even Ndidi, who who didn't have a great game, but he is often a very good player for them. I think once you control their midfield when you're ahead, it, it becomes very easy to break them down. Um, and and I think that Conte quite likes to use this this three five two when when we're already either a goal or two goals ahead so that we can actually catch teams on this break. Because if you get Kane and Son like in a, in a two-on-two situation, I, I, would even, I would even say you're like 50-50 to score. That, that, that's how confident I am when they're, when they're on form. They're, they're going to score a lot, of, a lot of chances and create a lot of chances, um, high percentage chances, like you said, um, with this sort of like more counter-attacking vibe. But also with the, with a three five two um, defensively, I feel like we have like a it's a weird like almost a triple pivot because mm-hmm. all three of the players can play in that anchor role. So when so when we do have the press, uh, I think Cosmo wanted to bring up with the three five two that that looks very a lot more of like an organized press than in the uh, in the three four three that we have sometimes pressing. Um, I think that any of Basuma. Hoybier and um, Benton Cole can play in that holding role and it almost becomes okay you're playing in the holding okay I need to be in one of the eight positions and it's it, I think it's been worked on a lot in training um, I think Conte likes his automisms or, or, or autonomisms um, and I think he likes players to know when someone's in this position I have to be here or when this person has has the ball in this position I have to be here and this is the ball I'm already going to play and I think I think that that that's what we're seeing with with Conte, like sort of, like slowly slowly building on the on the blocks that he's set up with the three at the back. And I think I think that it's it's just these added little things that we can we can bring to especially cup competitions because I think it's more about adapting in cup competitions, um, like adding these things to the building blocks that we already have with the three at the back. That's just going to make us a stronger team. Yeah, yeah, you, you kind of covered it there. Um, but yeah, I noticed it when I was watching the match today analysis and Dion Dublin was talking about something completely different. But um, it was a period where, as you mentioned, uh, Basuma was was as a six at the base of it. And then Benzenker was just very, very high, like basically on the wing. Um, and then you had Hoybier doing that on the other side when he did that. 
did he do like a little pirouette and then play it with the outside of his yeah, foot or something? Yeah. Like we we don't really see that side of of Bentancur and Hoybier's games, but I mean Bentancur in particular looks really good like going forward in that position. That's just something that I've I've never really seen him do, and he's actually got a bit of a turn of pace on him. Um, another thing I wanted to see, to say was that's the first time I've seen Basuma look like the Brighton Basuma again. Um, I mentioned it before on the pod, like when I saw us lose to Brighton in the Premier League, like he was just, he was so imperious that game. And we saw that again, like some of the tackles he was making were just so improbable. It didn't look like he'd be able to get there. And rather than making those, those kind of fouls, not fouls, those tackles that look like fouls, he could just win the ball so cleanly where I feel like anyone else would be giving away a foul in that position. So it's, the, it's really good to see that we can switch it up to a 3-5-2, as you guys say, like some nice tactical flexibility. And someone else who I think is really suited to that as well, I think Oliver Skip, hopefully when he comes back, the sooner he's back, the better. Um, I think he would be really useful in that as well. So it is interesting. Hoibig and Bensko are going to need a rest, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. it would be important when Skip comes back. Um, just one thing on that three five two. I don't want to harp onto it, but like, back, like piggybacking on on you on you, Glenn. It's just that with the with the three five two. I think another reason why Conte doesn't want to use it is because we immediately become a bit we come a low block. I don't think that's actually how we play. We do definitely play with like a mid block, um, and and having a three three four three means that we we're, we're always able to to break with three, and that's going to be like one of the the other big differences, uh, oh, well, sorry, not differences. One of the big reasons why Conte is not going to want to play a three-five-two because naturally in a three-five-two, unless you're an incredibly aggressive team, you are gonna you are gonna drop back and play on the counter. That is just like how it's how like you end up playing. You, you all most of your players are going to end up behind the ball behind the halfway line, and so with the three-four-three, um, you you are like even when we're defending. Most of the time, like Son and Kane are now ahead of the ball. Um, like it's rare that like they find themselves behind the ball that often, like for extended periods of time, even when the other team have the ball in our half. And so with like with the three five two, um, you have them behind the ball a lot more, which means that we're we're spending a lot more energy and time getting up the pitch. Um, so yeah, that was probably going to be another reason why I think the three five two whilst attractive in certain situations, probably isn't going to be like the the perfect formation going forward. Yep. Um, and I think we should move on to the Arsenal game now, uh, preview it a little bit. We might be back before um, the game, so we might do a more in-depth preview because I do feel like a lot can change. Like They've got a lot of injuries right now. We don't know what's going on with Lloris, so let's see in two weeks at the international break. I mean touch wood no injuries because we got a lot of people going off on international break but um i feel like i say this every time but it's got to be one of the biggest north london derbies in years uh if you just look at the table seven games played we're on 17 points city the same um arsenal one ahead on 18 um both unbeaten and yeah away at the emirates 12 30 on a saturday it, it seems it's like not what you want at all. Um, in terms of games, Spurs can't win probably away at Arsenal in the Premier League. I think last time was uh, Eunice Cabal with the winner. And then a 12.30 kickoff is just absolute kryptonite for us, really. Um, I would take a draw. I would take a draw. I think it's just, it's good to 
keep that unbeaten record remaining. Um, but I also think we're quite well set up to um, to counter them. I think we are a team that's going to cause them problems on the counter. Um, Glenn, you were saying you're feeling a little bit pessimistic. How are you feeling now? We've been podcasting for, I don't know, 40 minutes. Is it got your juices flowing at all? Or? Yeah, a little bit, you know. like <clears throat> I'm glad it's not after um, a European game, for sure. Like, I'm I'm really glad that it's, it's not after um, like a Champions League group stage game that we have to win to go through or, or something of that, that, that ilk. Because that, com- combined with the fact that it's away at the Emirates, would just be a disaster. I'd, I'm still a little bit pessimistic, and I'm a bit like you that we need to um, we need to not lose. Is 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 the first the first thing, but I do think that Arsenal have had some problems with teams with quality that can counter attack. Teams that take it to them often often just get like torn apart by Arsenal. I think that teams who do like a mid or a low block. I think we saw it in the United game. Arsenal can be shaky at the back. Their 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 back four isn't isn't as solid as what some people are making out. Um, I think that we can we can beat them on the counter, and I think that we have the quality, especially with Son, maybe with a bit more confidence. Um, Kulusevski knowing that, well, not knowing that he's going to start, but thinking that he's going to start and bring a bit bit more of like sort of that creation than uh, Richarlison and Son together would bring. I think that we can break them down, but it just, I'm I'm never, never optimistic about a, a game of the Emirates, really. Yeah, it's just that logic can, can just go out the window in this. It's like, yeah. we, we could we could play like the perfect game and then something just ridiculously stupid could happen. I just, I've got that feeling about this game. Um, Eddie, what do you think? Um... I'd, I've like found myself watching Arsenal a lot more this season, um, just because it feels like, oh, like this is genuinely like I've been watching City as well. Although because my dad supports City, I do tend to watch City quite a lot. But like I, I am now watching quite a lot of the games of the clubs around us, and it is incredibly tight. I think everyone has quality in, in different ways, and and unlike maybe Arsenal and City. Um, I just think Spurs have been in there without without being nearly as like cl- like nearly close to their best. Whereas I do think we're kind of seeing the best of this Arsenal at the moment, and we're starting to see the best of this uh, City with with you know the Terminator up front. Um, and it's like it's going to be a case of okay, it, it's insane to think that we, we've got like a kind of early six pointer, like a six pointer in the eighth game of the season, which like. It sounds insane, but in reality, it's going to be super important because if we do end up, you know, getting three points from this game, we put ourselves in a very good position. Um, I think mentally, it it goes a long way against Arsenal. You know, two games against the top six, two losses. Um, I do think that's like something important, and it'll be important mentally. And I just think, you know. For like as long as we keep up with like the longer we keep up with City, the better because you know the quality that they have. Sooner or later, they are going to just pull away. It is just inevitable. I think they're so good, um, and they've they've added just you know essentially a cheat code on top of that that winning formula, um, and so I do think it it, it will be City's to lose um, this season. 
Uh, and it's, it is still, for me, a top four race for us. Um, but I do think by beating Arsenal, we're just going to be in a very good position to like maintain that momentum. Um, and yeah, like Ben said, I'm just happy that it's not after a European game because that would have been incredibly tough. And um, it's actually it's going to be another one of our trickiest fixtures down. I think if we can get out of it with without losing, especially if we win, but say we get a draw, we've gone away to Stamford Bridge, somewhere historically really tricky for us to go. We've got a draw. Away to West Ham, you kind of want to win in that, but a draw is acceptable. If we get something at the Emirates as well, then you're starting to think we've got a lot of tough fixtures out of the way and, and Spurs could really start picking up some points before the World Cup and we could put and ourselves another, in a decent position. It's another time where we've picked up points on, on last season as well because we lost it at the Emirates. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it would be it would be positive, um, yeah, to be in that position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll try and get a put out before then. I'm actually, let me just look for some listener questions real quick. So I do have one question. I want to know what you guys think whilst Cosmo is looking. Is that, have our goal, like what what do you think our goals were at the beginning of the season? And like, do you reckon they've changed? um, Or do you reckon we're on course for those? Mm. What do you guys think? Um, Like since the, I guess, since the transfer window is closed. That's really interesting because I kind of think the goals for me were to do, I, I just want us to go far in the Cups. Obviously, the Cups are, haven't even opened yet. I think Carabao Cup starts in November, so can't really answer on that too too much. But I thought we were capable of getting in amongst the, the big two, which was City and Liverpool. I genuinely think Liverpool are quite weak this season, so I think we can get amongst them for sure. City, Eddie, you say that they're just going to be an absolute behemoth and run away with it. But right now, right now, we're we're right up there. So it's weird because I still feel like we haven't played that well this season in like large parts of the season. But points wise, we're we're absolutely smashing it. Champions League, I feel like Sporting was a little bit of a reality check. I think that has shown me that Champions League is going to be a lot more tricky than I thought. Because I think when we did the predictions at the start of the season, I think we were quietly optimistic about um about potentially going far in there um but i think the fact that a team like sporting with their budget as kind of they've kind of take found us on our heels a little bit i think that worries me slightly um glenn what do you think i i think i think the predictions for me are kind of the, or not even the predictions the 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 aspirations for me are kind of the same we, I think we all predicted that City were going to be a completely different beast with Haaland up front. And I, and I just think the worst nightmares are coming true about him because he just looks completely unstoppable. And he even played in like a very different role against Wolves on the weekend. He, he picked up the ball a lot deeper and he still looked absolutely dominant. It, it, it just, it doesn't look good. And Unless he gets, good, <laughs> yeah, he is not looking good in the league. I think, I think they're bound to run away with it. And I think that when the latter stages of the cups do come in, their squad depth is a joke compared to anyone else in the league. And yeah. I just think they're going to run away with it. I don't think Arsenal have the squad depth to compete on two fronts, never mind three or four. So if they go deep in a cup, I think they're just going to fall off in the league. Uh, Champions League, I was I was kind of 
the most pessimistic person, I think, about the Champions League. Conte has never really historically done that well. And I think that we're seeing with his, not not lack of adaptability in games, but sort of less fluidity in the way he wants to play. Um, I think that we're going to see that teams are going to be able to predict us and they just have slightly more quality than us with their budgets. For example, Man City, PSG, etc., etc. Um, I think I think we might struggle against these slightly bigger teams in the Champions League. Um, I'm still I'm still hope, hopeful for an FA Cup or like or like a, a Carabao Cup, like go far in one of them maybe. Just on that uh, on the Champions League, Glenn, we do have a question from Luke saying who's winning Champions League? Who is winning the Champions League this year? Um, what what PSG. do you think? I think it's PSG. City. I think, yeah, no, City yeah. won't win it. Yeah, City won't win it. I think both of them have bottling gene. Yeah, they do. I, th- I think it's going to be the, the battle of the bottlers in the final. I, this is the thing that at the start of the season made me kind of hopeful. I'm not saying Spurs going to win the Champions League, but like, I, I still don't think there's a real standout team. Um, if I had to pick someone right now, uh, maybe not to put money on it. I probably would put money on City because I think it's probably they just got the best squad. But like I say, they got the intangible of bottling gene. I would probably say Real Madrid right now because they're the, they're the opposite of like having a great squad. But ha- they have the opposite. They've got the the winning judge gene, whatever that is. Like I don't know. I, I would have to go Real Madrid right now. Ah, uh, I. Honestly, City would have gone to the final last season if they had Haaland. Because, and I'll tell you why. When they lost to Real Madrid, the reason they lost to Real Madrid is that they had no one to bring on to like pump it forward and to hold True. up the ball. And so they invited so much pressure on their goal that Real Madrid just had the necessary quality um, and then and then but put, put them away. If City had someone that would chase lost causes, hold it up, was strong, even finished chances last season because they had chances against Real Madrid. Then, like I reckon, they would have gone to the final because I think they beat they they beat whoever Real Madrid have um, as well. And so, I I do genuinely think that City are going to go to the final unless they unless Pep overthinks again, which is like in his nature. So I wouldn't put it past him. Um, like maybe dropping Haaland and playing Alvarez for some reason. Some like some crazy. I can see that. I can see that. Like that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I can I can see that happening potentially. Um or even potentially if like Haaland gets injured. Because last season he was quite injury prone. Um and I think like his build doesn't help him because he's so he's so like tall but also built so like like a like a like a shells, like a brick shells. And it's they like, haven't rotated him as much as I thought they would either. Exactly, exactly. I do think that, like, potentially his, like, like them having to manage his minutes might factor into it, especially if he does get injured. So there's that. But I do, I don't know, I don't think I can see past City or PSG. It's going to be one of them. I think Bayern are okay. They still lack that Lewandowski. They haven't really replaced Lewandowski. They play pretty much every single one of their attacking players up front. Mane, Sane, uh, Gnabry, Gnabry um, Muller, they've all played up front and like they've got by so far, but they haven't looked as good as they did. Um, Barcelona, 
I don't, no. I don't see them doing bits. No. They, they, they got like, they got bullied by Bayern. And then the rest of the other European super teams are just not playing that well. True. So I can't see past City and, and PSG. The, the problem, the problem we have with like, oh, Harlem might get an injury. Uh, he's not been rested that much. He's got a mid-season break. Mm-hmm. He's literally got a mid-season break when every, like all the other top strikers are playing in the World Cup, and you and you reckon that a lot of them will go quite far. He's he's got literally like two months off mid-season. Talking of that, I, I was going to ask you guys um, who who have you guys got for the World Cup? Who do you think is going to do well in the World Cup? I, I've got a feeling about either Brazil or Argentina. You know, Brazil for me. Yeah, yeah. I've been saying- yeah, especially in like I, I I don't really read into it too much, but like in a hotter climate, teams that are comfortable in playing in these sorts of conditions, I think. I always factor just- that in as well, but surely that's it, not a thing anymore. It's just it's just an it's just an it's just another sort of like small Caveat. small like extra win element that we like we see a lot a lot of teams, especially in the Premier League and in the top leagues now, like trying to take these small wins. And I, and I, th- I think it is. It's maybe something to be factored in because I, I think that England never do well um, in hotter climates. In my opinion, yeah, I, think I think that... I think England are on a bit of a downward trajectory right now. Yeah, There's too many players off form. Um, similar thing with France, but ne- like I was thinking, France have a lot of players kind of fading, especially in their midfield. With like um, Kante, he's been injured. Pogba, he's going to miss the World Cup. Um, but then they've got. Chuameni and Kamavinga, so they'll have a brilliant midfield, um, and they could play those those three, those two with with Kante potentially. Bit a bit negative, but that allows you to go forward with Mbappe, Benzema, and Usman Dembele. So, Kuku was great team. Who's sorry? Uh, RB Leipzig in Kuku. Yeah, I mean you can't rule you can't rule France out. I don't think exactly. You actually can't. And I, I, the the reason I say Argentina, I just think the the romantic in me uh, kind of wants Messi to get a World Cup. Yeah, I do think they have a good side as well. Like they do, they do really have a good side. I think what they've lacked in the past is like a good defense, and I think they kind of have that now um, with like players like Romero, um, Tagliafico. They never really had fullbacks in the past. Montiel, they have like a decent outfit now. Lo Celso but, plays well for us. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> that kills the romantic in me completely. That awakens probably the jihadi in me, if anything. <laughs> I, can't, I can't see Lo, Lo Celso <laughs> lifting a World Cup. Just, you uh, almost called him Lo Celso. <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah. Send him there. Lo Hellscape. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't want to see that happening, but... Yeah, are you guys excited for the for the Winter World Cup now? Like, no, or not. No. I think it's going to kick in. in it. Scotland think... aren't in it, so I'm not excited. Uh, fair, fair enough, Glenn. Uh, uh, that's actually very fair <laughs> because I, I do think that like the the win like the Winter World Cup is going to have a very kind of like weird effect on how we're going to like look at this season because like it's hard to it's hard to really factor in how like that's going to change a team like post pre-World Cup, post-World Cup. Like so much can happen within that, that time frame, And, and it is, it kind of might, the thing is like, we, cause we're, we're still going to have to play the same amount of games with the World Cup having to be factored in. It's not like the World Cup goes in, 
you play less games in that period and then it picks up afterwards. Like we're gonna have to fit in all those games somewhere. And so that the 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 nature of the season means that you know players are gonna be playing a lot of games this season. And so with like having having squads is gonna be huge. Um and I'm just not excited about players coming back unfit or tired or injured. Like we we really do have to be very careful about how how we're managing our players. Because you know, international managers they're they in a position. They don't they they can't because they all all they care about is that one month window, one and a half month window where the players are theirs. And they're not going to manage their minutes for the club, are they? Even in so, even in these friendlies, Kane's going to play every minute. Exactly, precisely, and like, and and you know, you, you think about players that haven't been picked for this like front, this like international break. They're the lucky ones. We talk about Arsenal players not going, like the free Gabriel is not being picked in this international break. They basically get a break for two weeks. That's mm. going to benefit them more than it more than it doesn't benefit. Although, them. although. To be fair on that, I think Arsenal, am I right in saying they didn't play for 10 days before they played Brentford? So you've had 10 days not playing, then you played a game and then you're having two weeks off. I don't know. Might not be the best thing. I don't know. Early on when you're playing so many games at once, you like you take your breaks where you can. They looked very, they looked very like sharp against Brentford without being particularly good in the first half. But they did look like they, they they looked like a team that hadn't played like three days ago, basically. Yeah, true. All right, I think that's about it. I think we'll end it there. Um, if you made it this far, make sure to follow us on Spotify and subscribe or subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Um, leave us a little review and a five star rating, and follow us on the socials at Ensign Team Pod. Um, I've been Cosmo. I've been joined by Glenn. Thank you very much, and Eddie. Thank you, guys. Peace out.